Hi everyone and welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you from the heart of lovely, beautiful Yorkshire, England, where it is a glorious spring morning. As I record, it is late March 2022 and it's lovely out there. I've just been out in the garden. In fact, I was very tempted to go old school and record into my phone sitting outside. <laughs> You remember the days, don't you? It's not that long ago where I would record, record in my lunch break uh, out, in, out in the fields and, and you'd hear planes going over and birds singing and, I don't know, a dog barking and, and the wind and, and my footsteps on the, on, the, on the ground as I'm doing that sort of mobile phone walk that people do. Yeah, there were good days and it was the podcast was a bit little bit rough around the edges and, and, and raw and I think um, I think a lot of you quite enjoyed that going by some of your comments uh, you quite enjoyed that uh, that ambiance <laughs> I've since uh, invested in well not invested it wasn't expensive but I've got a proper microphone and I'm, I'm sat now in the uh, in the studio uh, rather than the, the the mobile studio of old that car's long since gone actually it, I, I sold it for scrap some years ago um, Anyway, I'm I'm digressing as as I often do on uh, on dissecting Dexter. We are here, we are back. This is the first rewatch podcast since Dexter: New Blood finished airing. I've had a little break from podcasting, uh, although I say a break from podcasting, uh, not podcasting altogether, because I was on the Heretical Deviance podcast. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, talking to host Peyton King, who is a fellow Dexter fan. And uh, she talked to me about about my podcasting journey. She was interested to hear how I got into podcasting and, and how the podcast evolved. Her own podcast is still in its infancy and developing. And uh, she was interested in, in, in how those early days went, uh, how the podcast grew. And uh, we talked a lot of Dexter as well. We talked a lot about Dexter New Blood. So if you are interested in hearing some more Dexter chat, then please do check out Peyton's Heretical Deviance podcast. It's available on all good podcast libraries and apps out there. So um, if you do, tell her I sent you. <laughs> she might even be listening. Hi, Peyton. Yeah, so um, as I say, I've had a little break from dissecting Dexter. Um, this series has been resting in my mind since then. It's been resting a while and, and ruminating. And uh, I won't spoil it for those of you who are watching Dexter for the first time and listening to this podcast as a companion to the show. I have to say, though, podcasting about New Blood was an absolute pleasure. The, pod the, the, the podcast community, the fan community came back together we had lots of different voices on the podcast. I had some guests uh, guests on with me to talk about the episodes, and and the just the atmosphere and the fan spirit were just great. It really was the most fun I've ever had podcasting. I am happy to get back to the rewatches though and continue what I started way back in 2010. I still get emails sometimes from listeners perhaps having just discovered this podcast more recently. And if you're one of those, shout out to you. Thank you for getting in touch. Uh, but some of you have wondered why there's a big gap 
with season four, all of season four, and at the moment, half of season three missing. I won't bore you with how the podcast started and why, uh, why I ended up uh, skipping, skipping about between new and old seasons of Dexter. But rest assured that the gap will be filled over the coming months. I don't get these recorded too quickly because of real life commitments, but I will get there. I will finish what I started, I promise. If you are interested in in the story of um, how the podcast developed and why there's a big gap, <laughs> why I went episode by episode from season one and then suddenly we skipped to, to season five, um, you can listen to the story on the Heretical Deviance podcast. I do go into it uh, on there. Anyway, thank you for joining me. If you want to get in touch, it's dissectingdexter at gmail.com. And special thanks go out to all my wonderful Patreon supporters who help keep this podcast and the archive safely stored online. This is a season three rewatch podcast that will only refer to what's come before and not spoil anything that's yet to come. So you can listen with confidence. This is a spoiler free zone. Right, let's get to it, shall we? This is Dexter, Season 3, Episode 5, Turning Bimini's. Original air date, the 22nd of May, 2009. Written by Tim Schlapman and directed by Marcos Siega. The episode opens with a scene I can identify with. Seeing your unborn child for the first time on an ultrasound. Wow, <laughs> it's an incredible moment that's hard to put into words, but if you've been there yourself, you'll know exactly what I mean. And here's Dexter, looking a bit like, I don't know, a bit like a rabbit in the headlights, <laughs> trying to muster some enthusiasm to match Rita's joy. A classic example of Dexter having to fake it. Amazing. <laughs> this is his child on the screen, and he feels nothing more than some bewilderment, having to accept that he's going to be a father. We know Dexter struggles with regular emotions, but you'd think seeing your unborn child for the first time would be significant enough to drum up something genuine, even if those genuine feelings caught him by surprise. That said, we talked last time about how becoming a parent can be a shock to the system, so perhaps he is just feeling a, a natural sense of shell shock and interprets that as him feeling nothing. He is an unreliable narrator, so maybe he's misunderstanding his own feelings. On the golf course later with Miguel, I don't know if it helps. Miguel looks at the scan photo and says, this will change your life forever. <laughs> He means it nicely, he means it in a positive way, but I'm not sure it's what Dexter wants to hear right now. Changing your life forever. However, Mich M M Michelle, <laughs> Miguel goes on to talk about a case of a guy who killed his wife. I don't know, maybe he's just Michelle at weekends. <laughs> oh dear, sorry. Scrap that thought. <laughs> Miguel goes on uh, to talk about a guy who, uh, that he's a case that's on his desk, a guy who killed his wife at sea, but he can't get him because it was in international waters. Someone very obviously fitting Dexter's code. 
Miguel doesn't know about the code, but Dexter smells the scent of a potential victim. We join Rita and Dexter at lunch with the Prados, and Rita's talking about looking for a bigger house for their growing family. Then, then Dexter says something that no pregnant, newly engaged woman wants to hear. He says he wants to keep his apartment. Now, it's natural to want to keep your own space somewhere, but it's only going to hurt her feelings to hear it. I liked how Miguel had his back, though, recognising the awkwardness and changed the subject, as a good friend might. Dexter's really not ready to make the shift, though, and later distracts himself with homework, researching the guy Miguel talked about, Ethan Turner. Make sure he really does fit the code. Dexter talks to Harry, who, of course, is merely an extension of Dexter's own consciousness. Harry tells him how it is, but he also expresses some of Dexter's fears about losing his apartment and moving in with Rita. Losing some identity, giving up some of his stuff, sharing everything 50-50. But perhaps most importantly, wanting to make sure his darker activities can continue and not be at risk of discovery. The apartment gives him that safe haven. Don't follow me. Follow the podcast. Get on Twitter and follow at Dissect Dexter. Anton's given Deb a lead on Freebo, and after a cute interaction on their phones in adjacent cars, we see Anton's lead laid out in a, a stupor. Drunken or drug-induced, I'm not quite sure. They still think the Skinner is connected to Freebo, and this guy eventually wakes up enough to give them a name, Wendell. Cut to Batista, Quinn and Masuka, looking down on what seems to be another Skinner victim. They wonder what's up with Masuka. He's gone all polite and, and well-dressed, not joking around anymore. Of course, we remember it was Quinn who was very blunt with Masuka last episode, pointing out how he can be annoying and people don't take him seriously. Back at Miami Metro, the team are discussing the case, and Deb talks about Wendell. He's the kid who Dexter interacted with at Freebo's house. She's bringing him in, but Dexter's a little concerned he'll recognise him. Deb questions the kid, and it's nice how she eventually starts to develop a rapport with him. I also like Quinn's genuine reaction, smiling at her progress. Miguel calls Dexter complaining about the Ethan Turner case, how the feds aren't proceeding with it. It's a bit on the nose, he lays it on, how this is despite there being a good witness and how the family's devastated by it all. The writing here felt a little corny, I guess, just playing into Dexter's hands conveniently, reinforcing how he fits the code. Dexter does his research and finds Ethan in a diving supply shop and makes some casual contact pretending to want to go diving. Ethan's eyeing up some girls and is clearly a player. Ramon Prado shows up at Miami Metro. He's there to liaise between the sheriff's department and Miami Metro on the skinned victims while they think that there might be a link. However, LaGuerta sees through him, knowing that he's there to keep a closer eye on the investigation into his brother's death. He's ready to throw his weight around, but LaGuerta does well to appease him and promise cooperation within limits, which he appreciates. 
I thought that was a nice bit of judgment there from LaGuerta, managing that volatile personality just right. Speaking of delicate personalities, we see a different side to Masuka. Batista and Deb talk to him, and not for the first time this episode, Deb tries to uh, eke out an innuendo, but Masuka doesn't bite. They challenge him, and he reveals his vulnerability in a nice character moment. His feelings are hurt, basically. He realised that he's the office joker and that no one takes him seriously. He brings up the conference that he spoke at and that none of his colleagues turned up to support him. He feels like no one speaks to him unless they want something. You can feel sorry for him, but from what we've seen these two and a half seasons, he's embraced the vulgarity and innuendo and seemed to revel in it until he got the idea that it's all that people see. We then find out that Deb's witness, Wendell, has gone. His mother turned up and took him away, worried there would be reprisals if he gave evidence. Deb, though, acts a bit childish about the disappointment with Quinn and uh, suggests that Quinn let them go to make her look bad. I don't think that's the case at all, but I get that Deb is keen to make a mark in the department and prove herself. Over the seasons so far, we do get hints that Deb is trying to emulate her dad and, and forge her career in the police like he did. Perhaps to honour him, but I think there's a lot in the fact that Harry spent so much more time with Dexter growing up than Deb. She saw Harry invest so much more in him than her. It may have affected her self-esteem as a child, and now as an adult, she's determined to prove her worth. You make yourself into a monster so you no longer bear responsibility for what you do. You don't think there are monsters in this world? You don't believe people are evil? You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. I'll show you evil. That night, Batista's cruising the streets, lined with hookers, and it turns out he's looking for that same vice cop he spoke to last episode. She's working undercover again. It seems like he's taken quite a shine to her and he asks her out to dinner. She declines, but leaves him just a tiny thread of hope, which is nice, and I like the little smile on his face as he drives away. Meanwhile, Dexter is at Rita's and she talks about them going to look at some houses the next day. Dexter just completely blunders the situation, just flat out refusing. He comes across awful and selfish, saying he's fishing the next day and how he can't be expected to drop everything just for her. It might depend on the situation, but I think I would argue that one here. <laughs> it's one of those times where you listen to Dexter and, and then think, oh my God, complete bad handling. Rita takes it very calmly, though, to her credit. Next morning, Mr Selfish is on his boat. He really is, isn't he? We know he's got a kill in mind, but he's putting that before Rita, his pregnant fiancée. Times like this, you see what a bad guy he can be. Miguel joins him at the dock, sent there by his wife, who, of course, has spoken to Rita. <laughs> I did laugh when he briefly considered joining Dexter on his trip and in voiceover, Dexter says, please don't. <laughs> I love these little cheeky voiceovers he does sometimes. At Miami Metro... Ramon Prado's addressing the team, saying he wants to re-interview people. Quinn jumps to Deb's defence, resenting the implication that she didn't interview them properly the first time round, which she duly notes and looks surprised by. 
Ramon could be a real pain in the ass for them. He's there representing the sheriff's department as this latest skinned victim is their jurisdiction and they've linked it to Miami Metro's cases. However, Masuka comes to the rescue and I think C.S. Lee had loads of fun in this scene doing his serious forensic expert routine in this scene. He has evidence to indicate the cases are not linked at all. And I love how Deb and Batista big him up, supporting his expertise. Together they put Ramon and his personal agenda right in their place. Our victim was strangled, the same as yours. Particular hemorrhaging in the eyes and bruising would lead one to conclude strangulation, unless you're me. You were so busy playing hide the sausage with the Emmy's report, you were hoping I'd miss the cotton fibers in the nose and airways. Your victim was smothered. That's not opinion. That's science. And science is one cold-hearted bitch with a 14-inch strap-on. And he's back. What I think we're through here? I'm not so sure your lieutenant would agree, Sergeant. Then you don't know her as well as you thought, Lieutenant. Love that moment. Great stuff. Dexter's in Bimini relaxing on the beach, scoping out Ethan Turner, who's flirting with a woman. Dexter's judging him for cheating on his wives, and Harry appears and points out that Dexter's cheating, doing what he's doing. It's interesting to look at Harry as a part of Dexter's psyche, as a part of his, I guess, his subconscious. But given that he speaks a lot of sense, it suggests that there is a logical rational person buried within Dexter. It's just suppressed by all his darkness, like it's the darkness in charge, suppressing anything resembling regular emotion, preventing Dexter functioning fully, causing his, his frequent social awkwardness. Harry's right. Although Dexter's not with another woman, he is kind of cheating on Rita by doing this. He's lying about where he is. He's putting the dark passenger first. Yet Dexter thinks he can successfully juggle both lives. Harry suggests Dexter needs to check his priorities because, like I just said, the passenger is always put first. Then the vision gets creepy. Harry was putting some sun lotion on a woman's back and then she turns around and it's Laura, Dexter's mum. Hi, baby. Oh, hi, mum. <laughs> Another one of those lovely, darkly funny moments that this show does so well. And then a problem arises. Rita's out looking at houses with Sylvia Prado when she starts bleeding and rushes to the hospital while at the same time Dexter's surreptitiously boarding a ship following Ethan with plans to dispatch him and get the last water taxi back to shore followed by a, a, a fair boat ride back to Miami. He's not getting to the hospital and Rita's side anytime soon. And of course Rita urgently needs him. I nearly called a Reacher there. You can tell what I've been watching recently, can't you? <laughs> Deb tries again to try and speak to that kid, Wendell, and has some success. He spills a few details, like Freebo owed someone a lot of money. Meanwhile, someone is watching them through binoculars, and the sinister music suggests that they don't have, to good, in they don't have good intentions. We rejoin Dexter who's got himself into Ethan's cabin, 
dressed in his usual kill clothes, which he was obviously able to stuff into the golf club bag that he carried on. Once taken down, Dexter works fast. You sure can pack a lot into one of those bags. <laughs> Out comes the apron, the plastic, the shrink wrap, the knives. He works fast, <laughs> and urgency is in his voice. After the stab, he puts a finger on Ethan's throat to feel the pulse slow and stop. It's beautifully creepy, just savouring that last moment of the life he's taking. A cold, stark reminder of who Dexter is. If you think he's a good guy, remember this moment. If you think following the code means he's doing good and it somehow makes him a hero, remember this. He does it for the kill, selfishly satiating his dark needs. I mean, yeah, we laugh at him sometimes, don't we? We enjoy his charisma, his social awkwardness. And yeah, some good comes out as a consequence of what he's doing. We can root for him to grow and be better. And in the role, Michael C. Hall is wonderful, no question. But this is who Dexter is. Time will tell if he can beat this darkness. And of course, we all hope he can. We do root for him. For now, though, this is him. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Rita is spending a lot of energy worrying about why Dexter's not called. Miguel's even had the Coast Guard out, looking in the area where Dexter said he'd be. So there could be that little technicality to wriggle out of later. There are a lot of very quick scenes this episode, and we jump to yet another. Deb knocking on Anton's apartment door to tell him about what Wendell said. Um, a, a woman answers, clearly wearing no bra, and alluding to having just had a shower with Anton. Deb leaves a message with her, but she looks a bit perturbed by it. Then Miguel rings her, trying to get hold of Dexter, who himself is arriving back in Miami, admiring his new slide. Dexter's musing how Ethan Turner never compromised, how he pursued what he wanted, and in the end, as Dexter says, it cost him dearly. Perhaps something to think about for his own future. And in voiceover, Dexter seems to realise that it's perhaps not the way that he should go. That, and that's been kind of the theme of this episode. Consider whether prioritising for his own needs is appropriate if he's getting married and becoming a dad. It's something any person has to reconcile in this situation. It's just that in Dexter's case... His own needs are rather unique, shall we say. Anyway, Dexter checks his phone messages and on hearing Rita's urgent news, he rushes to the hospital. And when he gets there, he leans over Rita and, you know, he looks really genuine. His demeanour, his voice, his manner, it, it all sounds natural, not forced or fake, completely genuine. And this scene, as a result, is really touching. He tells her he's ready to get married, let's set a date. And he kisses her on the forehead gently. It's really sweet and it made me think that there was a bit of genuine humanity and empathy coming out there. I know Dexter often describes himself as a monster and often gives the impression that he's written himself off as such. But moments like this make me think he's kidding himself and only feels like that because it was drummed into him by Harry all those years. Yes, he does some sick stuff, but there is a human being in there 
capable of so much more given the right circumstances and maybe this will be it. We can but hope. In voiceover, he reveals that he's accepted that emotionally he can't respond to the baby like he should. But for reasons unbeknown to him, he feels relieved that the baby's okay. Reasons unbeknown. We know why. Because he's not a complete emotionless monster that he thinks himself to be. There is a human being in there. Cynically, you could view this moment from another perspective that through preparing this podcast and rewatching this episode, I've only just considered, and this may be the fourth time I've watched this episode, like any addict, they feel better after taking a hit of whatever their poison is. Dexter's just killed. His dark passenger is satisfied and quietened for now. In that, how should we call it, that afterglow, perhaps he's better able to access the humanity in himself, tap into some sort of natural, regular emotion. It's funny that after all these years of watching Dexter, this has only just occurred to me. <laughs> I'm going to bear this in mind next time and see if it cycles like this. After the next kill, will he be more sensitive to Rita's needs again? What do you think about this? Am I on to something? Deb gives him a little bit of shit <laughs> out in the hallway. And it's all fair comment, though. She's calm with him and tells him not to be like their dad. Which is, they have a nice moment, actually. And he assures her that he doesn't intend to be. Later, with Rita in hospital... It's up to Dexter to go home and check on Astor and Cody. Miguel's there too, and you can see how handy it was to have friends there to help today. Dexter worries about letting someone in, letting his guard down. But there's a lot to be said for having a support network of friends. What's more important about this scene is that Miguel reveals that there has been a report of that guy he mentioned before, Ethan Turner. Apparently he's gone missing. Would you believe it? Miguel gently calls Dexter out that maybe he wasn't fishing where he said he'd be. So where was he? It wasn't me. You were making sure that Ethan and Turner could never hurt another innocent soul again. It's getting late. You should go. It's okay, Dexter. You and I, we're the same. No one is like me. You're wrong. Hey, you, you, you're wrong. Don't you see what happened today? I gave you the chance to avenge two women whom the system failed, and just like I hoped, did you? Seize that opportunity. It's not like that. Dexter. You don't have to lie to me. Don't you understand? I see who you are. You can't. No one can. You have nothing to explain to me. Nothing to apologize for. Ever. I'm with you. I'm behind you. And I respect you. <laughs> I better get home. Ma. Still will be waiting up. So Miguel sussed it. <laughs> Seems like he had his suspicions 
already and gave Dexter the breadcrumbs to follow and, like a good little boy, he did just that. Dexter tries to deny it, but then the look on his face is like he's trying to figure Miguel out. Who is this guy who can see him for who he is, but isn't repulsed or outraged or afraid even? Dexter's always wanted to be free, to be himself with someone, anyone. He can't do it with Rita. He tried it with Lila, and as he says then in voiceover, she was consumed by it. Harry was driven to an early grave by it. What of Miguel? It's like he may be starting to see Dexter as some kind of avenging angel, perhaps like a weapon to let loose on those he can't bring to justice. I don't know, it can't end well. Can it? Listener Feedback Feedback time, and our friend Travis has called in with this little anecdote from his original viewing experience back in the day. It's a little echoey on the recording, so I think he was probably recording during a bathroom break at work. A bit like me in the old days recording in a field during my lunch break. (laughs) Anyway, here's Travis. G-Man, this is Travis, and let me tell you an anecdote about Season 3, Episode 5, Turning Bimini's. An anecdote about my life that I'm not even sure is worth sharing, but I think about it every single time I think about this season and this episode. Picture this. It's early 2008. The sky is blue. The grass is green. Blood's flowing through my veins. Summer's going to last forever. Nothing can go wrong. I'm naive in the ways of the world. I don't know things. I've never heard of a place called Bimini. I'm obsessed with Dexter. And I want to know little, little appetizer, little things before the new season comes out in, in the fall. You know, I don't want to know outright, outright spoilers, but I do want to know, like, ooh, little set pictures or, ooh, little rumors. In early 2008, um, at some point, probably in the summer, episode titles had dropped online. You know, I guess these would be spoilers at the time, but I knew the episode titles. And I see the episode title, Turning Bimini's, or I think that's how you pronounce it, the island's Bimini. Now, uh, I didn't, I've never heard of Bimini, as I referenced before. And I know the reference, you know, the play on Turning Japanese, the song by The Vapors, I think. I won't even fact check that. I'm going to declare that that's who did that song. Um, And I make the stupidest assumption. Like I said, it's so even retelling it to you now. I've, I've never, I think I've never even told somebody this out loud. But I had this stupid, naive assumption, and it was this. Turning Bimini's, like bi, as in bisexual. And then I see, like promotional stuff of Deb with short hair and I go oh my god is Deb gonna be a lesbian this season that's what I thought I was like oh my god they is that I was a little upset you know I was so sure you know I was like all right so Lundy dies and then they're just gonna make Deb a lesbian look at that haircut there's no other explanation for this I thought for sure she was they were gonna turn Deb into a lesbian and in that episode, maybe episode five would be like the episode it happens or something because and then you know I felt the fuel in the fire was they added that Yuki Yamato girl, and she was kind of, you know, she was chasing Deb to get after Quinn, right? But, you know, I felt a little weird. You know, I, I was reading into it, what confirmation bias, right? What I already thought, I already knew. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to be gay for each other. Oh, come on, you guys. Don't, you know, you pandering. I don't know. I, I was so sure. So sure. And then, I don't know, maybe at... 
maybe up until the, the, the night that episode aired, um, maybe that's when I realized, oh, Bimini, oh, right? I don't know. It's so stupid. I don't even know if that's very funny, but I think about that all the time. Uh, and then I think I even had little thoughts about like, because LaGuerta and Ellen Wolf kind of start getting close. And I was like, wait, are they going to be gay for each other? Because, you know, Ellen Wolf's whole thing is like, oh, who needs men? I'm a, I'm divorced. Or I guess she likes young men or whatever. But both of them were like liberated women, right? LaGuerta and Ellen Wolf, they were liberated women on the prowl. You know, who knows what could happen? It's Dexter, baby. Showtime. They've always been just a little trashier than HBO, right? HBO's got boobies and stuff, but HBO's, you know, they, they win awards that Showtime just doesn't get. At any rate, the episode's good. Uh, Miguel knows, oh boy, you know, he, he knows what's going to happen next. Well, stay tuned for next week, kiddos. Woo! Thanks, Travis, old buddy. That's interesting. Although your theory was a bit out there, it just shows how looking for little tidbits of information ahead of a new season and seeing things or reading things out of context, it, it just shows how it can get the cogs in your brain whirring and seeds of theories can be born, no matter how wacky. And that was definitely wacky. I, I must admit, though, when Ellen and Maria started spending more time together. As much as I know it's perfectly plausible that they'd just hang together and enjoy each other's company. I mean, let's face it, the whole season spends much of its time with Dexter and Miguel's friendship, their, their bromance. <laughs> but there was a moment when I just wondered, just for a moment, if they were positioning Ellen and Maria to get closer. If you want to get in touch with me about this or future episodes, the email address is dissectingdexter at gmail.com where you can also send a voicemail if you want, just like Travis did. I'll always post ahead of recording on Facebook or Twitter or Patreon. So you know which episode I'm watching and about to prepare and when to write in. Please do. It's great to get different voices and opinions on here. And it's a guaranteed way to get yourself on the podcast because, as you know, I respond to everything. Speaking of Patreon, if you enjoy these podcasts and want a way to support it, beyond just listening and as much as I do love you guys to listen <laughs> you can become a Patreon if you like proceeds cover the cost of hosting and bandwidth and is hugely appreciated you can support me for as little as one pound a month by visiting patreon.com slash dissecting Dexter so guys another episode in the bag I found the quick edits this episode, lots of very brief scenes, chopping and changing. I found it a little jarring, but it keeps things moving along, I guess, at a steady pace. Jimmy Smith continues to be really good as Miguel. I'm enjoying re-watching his performance, actually. I'm also excited at that little Dexter revelation that I had this time. Him being more at ease with his emotions, more in touch with his emotions and empathy right after the kill. I'm going to keep an eye on that moving forward. Overall, I feel like the season's shifting gears now, now that Miguel has made this fresh discovery about Dexter. We'll see where it goes, and I hope you'll join me next time to talk about it. So I'll leave it there and say thanks for listening, 
and we'll be back together again soon to dissect some more Dexter. Until then, take care, everybody. Bye for now.